You're listening to a message from Streams Church in Litchfield Park, Arizona. For more content, visit streamschurch.org. Good morning. I was, uh, was going to give blood this morning, and my wife's like, you can't give blood, you have to speak both services. And I'm like, yeah, but if I give blood, and then I speak really badly, I'll have a great excuse. <laughs> She's like, that's not how it works, honey. I'm like, what do you know about how it works? So, we are starting a new series this morning uh, called Perspective, and uh, it's in Philippians. Um, so, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Josh Davis, I'm the youth pastor here. Um, but the most important thing I can tell you about myself right now is that we just had a baby, and that's him right there, coming up, right now, that's him. I, I concur. Thank you. I, uh, I'm not going to argue with you. I think he's pretty adorable. Uh, you can see that. Um, but he's also, surprisingly, not really that fond of sleeping. I don't know what the deal is. I'm really fond of sleeping. My wife's really fond of sleeping. I'm not sure where he got that genetically, but he likes to sleep during the day, which is great because he'll literally just sleep on the couch. He doesn't like his, his bed. He doesn't like, he likes the couch. He's already a man. So he'll sleep on the couch for hours, but then when nighttime comes, he's just not interested in sleeping. Every, every once in a while he'll do it and we get some good sleep, but, uh, but he just doesn't like to do it at night. At night, he really prefers to be held, which is really sweet until it's 3 a.m. and you've been watching Guy's Grocery Game for like six hours straight and you're starting to feel a little stabby because if you hear Guy Fieri yell mustard one more time, it's going to be a bad night. And then all of a sudden you look down at him and he's just so cute and you just, you just want to just hug him and, until he falls asleep. And so you just look at him and you're like, oh, you're so cute. So I guess you can get away with this for a little while longer. So he's not a fan of sleeping at night. Sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't. But it's interesting to me, primarily because um, my wife tends to just handle him during these times. Um, she says, and I quote, I'm able to handle being tired better than you are. Um, which I think is true because she requires much less beauty sleep than I do because she's naturally beautiful. <laughs> Meanwhile, I need all the help I can get. So I definitely need sleep more than she does. That's, that's an obvious thing. But sometimes when she's reached her wits end, I take my turn to swaddle and rock and sway and bob and weave and tuck and roll and all the other things you try to do to get a baby to sleep at night. And then you end up, you know, this is how you can tell if somebody's a young parent. You're standing talking to them out there in the foyer. They, their kids aren't anywhere near them and they're still going. Hey, yeah. Yeah, no, we went to the barbecue the other day. It was great. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. What are you guys doing? That's it. They just, we never stop rocking. It's like it becomes a part of who we are. Um, so in these moments, particularly when we're on the third night in a row of, you know, him not sleeping and all I want is to sleep for any period of time that's longer than 15 minutes, I find myself bargaining and I'll say things to my barely one month old child like Harvey. If you'll just sleep, I promise I'll buy you a Corvette since you're 16, or when you're 16, and a flying one since we'd better have flying cars by then. Whatever the case may be, I end up bargaining with them. I'm like, if you'll just sleep now, you'll never have to go to school. We'll just take you out. You can just eat candy all day, and I don't even care. Just sleep for more than 20 minutes, and you can do whatever you want when you turn six. I don't even care. It never works because, you know, that's just not the way the world works. But that's my mindset at the time. I'm willing to sacrifice something in the long term for a, a gain in the short term. $40,000 in, you know, insurance through the nose in 16 years for three hours of uninterrupted sleep now. If you are a young parent or you can remember the times when you were a young parent, you know that's a no-brainer. You would totally make that trade. If you had to sign a contract, you'd do it in blood. But it's not possible. It's easy to make that offer because who knows if we'll even have cars in 16 years. We might all be teleporting by then, right? That's what I tell myself. I might buy him a Corvette, but we might not need Corvettes. We'll all just be teleporting, so it's not necessary. But the point is, it's easy to bargain for the easy thing now 
to do the hard thing later, right? Because we're sort of mind, we're sort of wired in the, in the short term, I think. And I do this with a lot of things. Um, when I was 18, 19, just out of high school, uh, I had a lot of financial trouble. And uh, I spent a lot of money on things like video games and cheeseburgers. And um, that was like my budget, video games, cheeseburgers, eh, whatever else. Um, and I'd find myself out of gas at the end of the paycheck, right? Paycheck's not coming for another four or five days. And this is, this is when I bring God into the equation. I go, all right, God, I'm full of cheeseburgers, have no gas. You got to make these fumes last or put 20 bucks in my mailbox. And I swear I'll never eat a cheeseburger again. You know, you make those, you make those offers, you get so desperate and you're like, I'll, I'll go to church for the rest of my life. Every time the doors are open, if you just bail me out of this one situation in the moment, the solution to my problem seems greater than resolving the underlying cause, right? We don't, we don't tend to look at the underlying causes of things. Rather, we just want a band-aid. We want a quick fix to patch us over until the next situation. Maybe you can relate to this. When the money runs out and the bills are due, we make short-term sacrifices that have long-term consequences. You, uh, you, you do that thing you know you probably shouldn't do or that's not good for you financially to bail you out of the situation you're in now, only a few years, a few months, a few weeks, a few days later to end up in an even worse situation because of the compromise you made. Or uh, when our relationships are stressed, uh, we make compromises that bring us peace in the short term, but write a big check that we can't cash for the long term. Um, if you are uh, always wrong in the relationship, I am, apparently. This is what I've learned over the past few years. I'm always wrong. Um, and I've accepted that. It's a good thing. But if you don't accept that and you get angry instead and you just say, whatever, it's not worth the fight, one day you're going to explode, right? You, you've made peace in the short term. Everything's fine because you just say, yes, you're always right no matter what. And then 20 years later, you go, you know what? You were never right. And it's this whole big thing. You've written a check that you can't cash for the peace in the short term. Um, sometimes we engage emotionally with people that maybe we shouldn't. Uh, when, when our relationships are strained, when we're not getting along with our wife or husband as well as we should, but that person we sit next to at work, that guy at the gas station we see every day, whatever the case may be, we connect with them a little stronger than maybe we should. Maybe we should be pouring that into our marriage, but because it's easier, because it brings us relief in the short term, we don't think about the long-term sacrifice that we're making. It makes an expense on our marriage later on. We take the easy way out and uh, slip straight to correction with our children without offering an explanation and grace or, or anything like that. We just jump straight to because I said so. Sometimes you have to use the because I said so because my two and a half year old will ask why incessantly. She's in the why stage. This is really convenient because she got into the why stage right around the time we're having a newborn. So we have plenty of patience left over. <laughs> Not so anyway, you jump straight to correction, right? You don't offer any sort of explanation. You don't offer any grace. There's always just that, that, that theme of, of punishment and, and, and correction. And then eventually, later on in that relationship, you don't get asked for advice. They do things without asking you. They, do, they don't care what you think because they know you're just going to tell them what to do and then say, because I said so. You've made peace in the short term, right? You've, you've raised children who do exactly what they're supposed to do when you say, because I said so, but they never ask for your input. There's no relationship there. Sometimes we take that, that prestigious, high-paying job that we know we'll hate because it, it's worth a lot of money and it'll pay really well. And we, we say to ourselves, well, the money, the money will make up for it. Yeah, I hate what I'm doing, but the money will make up for it. And then we end up miserable and, and going back to school at, you know, 45 or whatever, starting over because we didn't do what we wanted to do to begin with. You end up burned out in five years. We make these compromises daily, sometimes even on a minute-by-minute basis, all because we lack perspective. We don't have a proper perspective to see the impact that our choices will make in the long term. And so what does perspective look like? And what is perspective inside this context? And I want to show you this picture that I have. I found this on the Internet. The Internet's a great place, by the way. There's lots of weird things on there. So if you look at this picture, 
This is a hallway in some weird museum in some weird place that I've never been to. Um, it was on Google too. But if you look at this first one, you can see that there's just this painting of, of circles, right? And it makes perfect sense. If you look at the next one, you're just slightly shifted. You can see they're a little closer and a little looking this way. It doesn't look right at all. It just looks like a bunch of smudges on the wall. And then the same from the other direction. It just looks like this really abstract, weird picture on the wall. But then when you're standing in the right spot, when you're standing far enough back and looking straight on, you can see what it's supposed to be. And it's supposed to be that picture of circles. Um, from one spot, the whole thing looks like gibberish. From another spot, it looks like ovals. But from the right perspective, everything lines up and you can see it for what it truly is. When you're standing in the right spot, when you have the right perspective, everything makes sense and you understand what it's supposed to be. Um, Paul, you might know him, he wrote a lot of the Bible. He was a man of tremendous perspective. He had a lot of time to sit and think about things because he spent a lot of time in prison. We benefit from this because he wrote down all the things he was thinking and we can look at them now and hopefully make different decisions based on this information. Um, but even before you, you look at the, the specifics of the book of Philippians, just taking a bird's eye glance at it from overhead, you can see that Paul's less concerned with the present and more concerned with the future. Um, rather, he understands that what happens in the immediate, good or bad, often has profound effects on the long term. So every decision he makes is checked against what's going to happen in the future. He doesn't really do anything haphazardly. Um, Paul opens his letter with the standard encouragement specific to the church at Philippi. And he, he, uh, this is what Paul does. He always, he, he knew most of the people he was writing to. And so he always said something to sort of endear himself to who he was writing. But sometimes he was offering correction and you, you know, it's, it's the compliment sandwich. You say something nice about them, you offer some correction, and then you say something nice about them. That way they don't stab you. That's what Paul did. Paul invented the compliment sandwich. So he opens with, with, you know, grace and peace. And actually this is a, this is a good book for the church of Philippi because they don't really get corrected. He has this really close personal relationship with a lot of the people there and they're really close to his heart. And so he doesn't have to offer a whole lot of correction. Um, so he opens his letter with encouragements and then he alludes to a concept that I think he really understands that it's easy to gloss over in verses 9 through 11. It says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So he prays an interesting prayer over them, and he encourages them to understand what really matters. And I think that that stands out to me because if we're talking about perspective, understanding what really matters is a really concise way to define that. When you have perspective, you understand what really matters. When you don't have perspective, you don't understand what really matters, right? If you think about this in the context of decisions you make, when you make decisions on a daily basis, if you know what's important, you're likely to rearrange your priorities to match that. If you don't know what's important or if you think something that's not important is important, your priorities are going to reflect that. Sometimes that works out okay, and sometimes it's a disaster. So understanding what's important is really important as a matter of perspective. Uh, so verse 12, it says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ's with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. 
and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. So he's in jail, and he's saying that I know there's a lot of people who are, who are doing other stuff, and, but it doesn't matter, because what's important is that the good news is being spread. Whether I'm in here or out there, it doesn't really matter as long as the good news is being spread. In spite of his circumstances, he's not willing to leverage a short-term gain in the way of his release from prison on the long-term benefit that his minor celebrity is having. Everybody's talking about the Paul guy in prison. If he wasn't in prison, they wouldn't be talking about the Paul guy in prison because he wouldn't be in prison. And because they're talking about the Paul guy in prison, they're talking about what he talked about, which was Jesus. So he, he understands that because his presence in prison is causing a ruckus, it's bringing attention to Jesus. And he's not willing to get out of, of the situation he's in if it's going to take attention away from Jesus. He's not willing to bring that attention back onto himself, whether it's good or bad. Paul realizes that in these moments, the king of God is being moved forward and outward, and it's growing. In this circumstance, Paul is kingdom-minded, which means he shares the mind of Christ. Um, what does that mean? What does it mean to share the mind of Christ? Jesus always knew the significance of things. He always knew. I mean, because he's God, so he knows everything. But even more than that, he always knew that all of his actions were important, that nothing he did was insignificant. And we just talked about this a few weeks ago um, in our, our Passion Week series. And we talked about the Passion Week and how everything that happened Sunday to Sunday, from uh, you know the beginning to the resurrection, the arrest, everything in between, everything was calculated. Nothing was accidental. Nothing was haphazard. Nothing happened without a purpose. Um, Jesus knew that everything had to happen in the order that it happened, in the way that it happened, in order for things to turn out. Um, everything had a place and, and reason for being. And so I want to look at Luke 22. Uh, and we talked about this, actually, when I spoke during that week. Uh, and I'm in verse 42, and it says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel of heaven, an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So Jesus has been through this whole ordeal, right? And it's coming to the end, and he knows it's about to happen. And he's tempted, just like we are in situations. He's tempted to compromise. And he says, Lord, if it's possible, take this away from me. He's tempted to gain in the short term. But let's just think about this for a second. Because you know that if he had sincerely wanted to, I believe that he could have chosen not to get on the cross. He could have chosen not to have it play out the way he did. Because he had to choose, otherwise he wouldn't have been a sacrifice. If he was forced, it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. So he, he chose to get up on the cross. Can you imagine what would have happened? What would have been lost in the long term if he'd taken that gain in the short term? If he had taken control here and ended his agony, and in the moment, in that moment in the garden, passed the cup along, gave it back to God and said, I can't do this, I, I'm not going to do this, we would be without salvation. Plain and simple. If he had not gone through everything the way it was prescribed, we would be without salvation. The mind of Christ is always concerned with the kingdom. The mind of Christ is always concerned with the church. The mind of Christ is always concerned with his people. The mind of Christ is always concerned with us because we are the church and we are his people. Just as Jesus knew that he must be sacrificed to bring salvation, Paul knew that he must be imprisoned to bring the good news of salvation to people who might not hear it otherwise. He knew that by being in prison, people were going to talk about him who would never have talked about him otherwise. He knew that by being in prison, people who, who would normally have never listened to him would listen to him. He gained, you know, I don't know, street cred or something because he'd been in prison. So he was able to start a prison ministry, right? He had all of these benefits that he would not have had. And so he knew as he's in prison, thinking, man, I really want to get out of here. 
But then he's thinking, well, you know what? This is having a, a major impact on the kingdom. This is having a major impact for the cause of Christ. This is bringing so many people to salvation. So many more people are not going to see damnation because of what's happening right now. It's worth it. I'll take the chains. From the perspective of those outside, Paul's imprisonment looked like the hallway from, from the left. When you weren't standing on it straight on, it looked like gibberish, right? It looked like weird shapes and circles. And they're going, why are, why are you still in there? You haven't really done anything wrong. I mean, maybe you broke a couple laws, but you haven't really done anything wrong. Why aren't you fighting your case? Why aren't you trying harder to get out of there? But Paul had the right perspective and could see it for what it truly was. And so back to Philippians chapter 1, this is in verse 27. It says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Citizens of heaven. When you're a citizen of somewhere, generally... Hopefully, you're concerned with what's happening there, right? Is anybody here a citizen of Bismarck, North Dakota? No. Okay. So you guys don't really care what color they make the fire hydrants there. I Googled this. I'm not kidding. The city of Bismarck had a meeting a couple weeks ago to determine what color the fire hydrants should be going forward. Does anybody here care about that? You don't, right? Because you're not a citizen of Bismarck. Arguably, even if you were, you might not care what color the fire hydrants are. But the point stands that even more so, because you're not a citizen of Bismarck, North Dakota, you really don't care what color the fire hydrants are in Bismarck, North Dakota. Now, if they were going to change the color of the fire hydrants in Avondale or Surprise or Goodyear or Phoenix or wherever you're from around here, by golly, you'd be at that meeting and you'd have an opinion, right? No, probably not. But you might care a little more than you would about the fire hydrants in Bismarck. The point is, you care about things that are happening around you. If we're citizens of heaven, then what happens here on earth in this realm is only a precursor. It only, it only leads to what happens there. It's only a piece of the puzzle. It's only part of the picture. In fact, it might be the wrong perspective if you're looking down that hallway. If you're looking only at what happens on earth, things don't quite line up right. Things don't make sense. The way things happen, they don't, they don't compute, right? Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to us. Bad things happen to uh, everything, to pretty cute animals. And bad things happen to nice places. And, and all of this stuff goes on and we don't understand it sometimes because we're sitting at the wrong end of the hallway trying to look up the stairs. And so it just looks like gibberish. But if we're citizens of heaven, then we understand that what happens here is only a precursor to that. When we take on the mind of Christ, we become concerned with the future, how the kingdom will be impacted, more than we're concerned with temporary gain. When we take on the mind of Christ, we gain heavenly perspective on earthly matters. And so this is the difference between trying to, to read a book when you're nearsighted or farsighted or whatever and you don't have your glasses. This is why this is my, my dad always does this. And I didn't realize that my dad was getting old until he started to do this. Because uh, he, he didn't tell me for a long time. My dad turned, I don't know, 51 or something this year. I don't know how old he is. I know I say old, but I'm old. I'm 27. Um, but anyway, so he, he started doing this a couple years ago and he, he wouldn't really like tell anybody. He wasn't, he tried to make it really an obvious. And so he'd be like, oh my gosh, dad, look at, look at what I found the other day. And he'd be like, he starts looking down his nose. I'm like, dad, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just, 
just looking at it. And then he'd go, I can't find my glasses. I can't read it. He doesn't have perspective. He didn't want to get glasses, right? He's like, I don't need glasses. I can see just fine. It's just, I'm just tired or something. And then he finally got glasses and he stopped having to look at everything from 10 yards away down his nose, right? As soon as he put the glasses on, he gained perspective again. Everything was clear. Everything lined up. He was able to see it. He was able to understand. It's the same thing as looking down that hallway in the right direction. If you look at the wrong thing at the end point, everything in between is not going to make sense. And I, I've told this story uh, probably a few times. And it's just one of, at this point in my life, it's one of the most impactful things that I've ever been through. And God keeps teaching me things about myself and, and my wife and I's marriage through this. Uh, we miscarried a few years ago uh, when we first got married. And I remember my wife asking me constantly, why is this happening? Like, why, why would this happen? All I've ever wanted is children. I don't understand what's going on. Why would this happen? And for a while, my answer was honestly, I don't know. Um, there are lots of fancy things I could have said to her that might have made her feel better, but they wouldn't have been genuine. And I don't like to be ingenuine with my wife. And so I was just honest with her. And I said, I don't know. I'm grieving the same way you are, and I don't have an answer for you. And then uh, I remember coming across this passage that I just read. And uh, my answer changed. And she asked me that again. And I told her, uh, she asked me one night and I told her, because we're, we're going through this now, and in 10 or 15 or 20 years, we'll be able to walk somebody else through it. Now, I'm not Jesus. That might come as a shock to you. I can't for certain say that I wouldn't have taken the easy way out and made it all go away if I could have. We were in prison during those few weeks, and I can't say if I had had the power or the connection with Jesus that Paul had, or if I had been Jesus, I can't say that I wouldn't have taken it all away. I don't know that I'm strong enough. Watching my wife hurt like that was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Every part of me wanted to make it go away. So I don't know that I would have been strong enough to hold on to it. But because I couldn't, I chose to look to the future to see how the kingdom would be impacted for this terrible thing. It was really hard. But I didn't have any other choice, really. So I chose to alter my perspective to see how, how this could have an impact in the future. For you, it could be anything. That hard time you're having with your kids where you feel like you're always correcting and explaining. You feel like they're never getting it. You feel like it's just a waste of time. It takes so long. It would be so much easier just to, and I'm really guilty of this, tell them to go to their room and leave them there until they calm down and then go have the discussion or try to have the discussion or just let it go. But instead, you invest the time, right? You spend, spend just as much time loving and playing as you do offering correction and teaching. Your teaching style has changed and it takes so much more energy and you're exhausted at the end of the day. But then it changes. And years, years later on, someday you have an open dialogue where your kids trust you and they know you want the best for them. You don't have to convince them of that. You don't have to beat information out of them. They volunteer it to you. They tell you what happens. They tell you when they get in trouble. They tell you when they get in situations they shouldn't be in. And they, help, they ask you to help them make decisions. Uh, it might be reconnecting with your wife or husband when that other person is so accessible emotionally. Saying, no, I, that's not right. That's a temptation. I need to, I rebuke that. And then you, you take your wife out on a date. Or you watch a football game with your husband. Or you do something that says to them, I care about you. And even though things are rough right now, I'm choosing you. You choose your spouse emotionally over that other person. And that breeds a lasting and powerful relationship. And the next time you have a tough time, your relationship transcends that because you've chosen them. And your partner knows that no matter what happens in the future, no matter what happens in the past, you've chosen them. And that's not going to change. Maybe you make the tough financial decisions now and you're living on a tight budget. And you're constantly having to say to people, we can't go out, we're on a budget, or no, we're not going to go see a movie with you. And, you know, you're going on dates like going to the park and looking at birds. 
And, you know, you're thinking, wow, as much fun as this is, I love spending time with you, but I'd really just like to spend the 20 bucks and go see a movie. Or maybe you're the, you're the, you're the one making the financial decisions and your partner's like, we're going to look at birds again? I don't even like birds. But you're making those tough calls now. And then in 10 years, you have the freedom to bless and be blessed. You're not tied down by financial restrictions or, or debt or anything else because you chose the hard thing ahead of time. You had the right perspective, made the decisions you needed to make, and now you're living well for it. I'm not Jesus, but boy, do I want to be like him. I'm not him, but I want to be him. I want to do everything I can to align myself with who he is. And so when tough things come up, my first thought is still, why me? Why now? You know, you throw yourself a little pity party. And then you, you buck up and you pull your pants up and you think to yourself, all right, this is happening. The only thing I can control is my reaction to it. And, and you pray through it. And the question becomes, how is this going to impact the kingdom? What opportunity do I have here to tell people about Jesus that might not otherwise ever hear about him? What impact will I have with my children in this moment? In this, in this moment where I'm being tested, where my patience is thin, where my patience is gone, what am I, what am I showing? And so in the moments where I hear the baby crying at three in the morning and my wife's letting me sleep, as hard as it is, and believe me, it's the hardest thing in the world, I have to get up and take the baby from her and walk into another room and say, sleep for a couple of hours. I'll handle him until he needs to eat again. Whatever the case may be, whatever that looks like, it's choosing that perspective. It's choosing to understand that everything that we do, every single decision that we make has a long-term impact. And if we aren't looking toward that impact when we make the decisions, the decisions are probably going to be faulty. How would your life be different if your decisions were always made with something bigger in mind? How much peace would you have if, God tru- if you understood that God truly called the shots? If you really got that, if you really understood that no matter what you did at the end of the day, as long as you were aligned with his will, you could not go wrong because he's promised that. If you truly had an understanding of that, and there wasn't that voice in the back of your head going, yeah, but are you sure? Like, that's going to be hard for a while. Is that really what you want to do? If you could mute that voice. If we understood what was truly at stake each time we made a decision, if we understood that God really does hold all the cards all the time, how would things be different? Here's what I want to ask you today. What are you facing in this moment? What are you facing today? What are you tempted with? What is the enemy trying to get you to compromise for short-term gain that will hurt you in the long term? Because there's only a few things that, universe, that are universal, and one of those things is temptation. And if you think hard enough, there is a place where the enemy's trying to gain a foothold. Jesus knew what had to be done. He knew that the benefit far outweighed the temporary pain. Are we thankful for that? I'm thankful for that. Because we would not have salvation if he didn't have perspective. Perspective makes all the difference in the world. It makes situations that seem hopeless and unreasonable hopeful. It makes situations that seem completely out of our control and desolate, still completely out of our control, but in a good way and not desolate. Perspective is the key here. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. So I'm going to invite the worship team up and and I want to pray for you guys this morning. But I really want you to think about that. What are you being tempted with? What is the enemy trying to say, do this now? And what is he telling you? Don't worry about it later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I, I understand, at least sometimes, 
that my actions have an impact far beyond the moment. And I particularly understand that uh, when it comes to my wife and children. And because I love them so much, Lord, I always want to be mindful of how the decisions I make affect them in the long term. And so I understand that every moment I spend playing with my two-year-old, Lord, every moment I spend holding uh, my one-month-old, every moment I spend offering uh, teaching and love and and telling them about who Jesus is, is going to pay off in the long term, Lord. And that the temptations in the short term to to write them off or dismiss them or, or whatever it might be, they aren't worth the damage it'll do in the long run. And so, Lord, we open ourselves to your influence this morning. We open ourselves to your suggestion. And I just ask that you would reveal to us in this moment, with what are we being tempted today? What are we tempted to sacrifice to gain in the short term and lose in the long term? Lord, we want to have perspective. We want to be kingdom-minded. We want to do everything for your glory. We want everything to bring attention to you, just like Paul didn't get himself released from prison because he wanted the attention to be on you. We choose everything that brings attention to you and none of it to us. So Lord, give us the strength to make the hard decisions now that will have a greater impact on your kingdom, on our families, on our jobs, everything, Lord, in the future. And thank you so much, Jesus, that you chose the hard thing. Thank you so much that you didn't shy away from what was coming. Because without that, we would not have salvation. We are so eternally thankful that you had that perspective. Please share that with us today and give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Streams Church in Litchfield Park, Arizona. Visit streamschurch.org for service times, general information, and more.